Intentionally Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Willey, along with my co-host, John Kessel. Episode 72 features the former head coach at Ohio State University and current Youngstown State University president, Jim Tressel. Coach Tressel shares with us lessons from his coaching career, the importance of adaptability, insights on motivating and uniting players, and some of his favorite coaching memories and stories from his time at Youngstown State and Ohio State. This season, Intentionally Grounded is partnering with First Down Playbook. For coaches looking for a playbook software that is user-friendly and can deliver the clarity necessary to share and communicate your scheme with coaches and players alike, check out First Down Playbook. For more information, check out their website at firstdownplaybook.com and for our listeners of our show, enter the code IGFB20 when purchasing individual or program memberships to receive a discount at checkout. Again, that code is IGFB20. Don't forget to check out our website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. And check out our newly released YouTube channel that houses the video cast version of our podcast episodes as well, along with additional content related to leadership, football, and coaching development. Season 3, Episode 22 of Intentionally Grounded with Coach Jim Tressel starts now. We're joined today by the president of Youngstown State and former head coach at um, Ohio State and, and several other places, Coach Jim Tressel. Coach, introduce yourself to our audience and uh, give us a little bit about your background in coaching. Yeah, as you say, my name is Jim Tressel, and uh, I grew up in a coaching family. My father was the head football coach at Baldwin Wallace College for 23 years and, and uh, won a national championship there. And I have an older brother who was 23 years the head coach at Hamlin University there in the Twin Cities and uh, was also on our staff for 10 years at Ohio State and now uh, is uh, retired the only place he'd like to be, St. Paul, Minnesota. And uh, my middle brother, my Dick was my oldest brother and my middle brother was, uh, his name is Dave and he was a 40 year swimming coach and has since retired. And, I'm the young one in the group, and, and uh, so I'm still working, I guess. But uh, I uh, had a chance to play for my father at Baldwin-Wallace and went on to the University of Akron as a graduate assistant uh, for one year and then was hired on the staff there at the University of Akron, stayed three more years, and went to Miami of Ohio as an assistant and uh, Syracuse as an assistant and then Ohio State as an assistant. And then we were fortunate to have a chance to come here to Youngstown State, be the head coach from 1986 through 2000, uh, the last seven years of which uh, I was also the athletic director. And then in 2001, we moved over to Columbus, Ohio, and I had the blessing to coach the Buckeyes for 10 years and uh, then uh, became the vice president at the University of Akron for two years. And we're now finishing six years here uh, I don't know what got into me. This president thing's overrated, especially when there's a COVID virus. But uh, <laughs> so we're just finishing six years. And, uh, you know, we've been blessed to be with a lot of great people at a lot of great places. Coach, who were some of your biggest coaching mentors as you grew in the coaching profession? And how did they help shape you into the coach that you are today? Well, my father uh, was our number one mentor. And we were lucky and on those small campuses, a lot of times you live right on campus and our home was right next to the stadium. So I had a chance to watch him work every day and 
and uh, saw how, how hard he worked, saw how much he cared about his players, uh, saw the way he got things done. And, and uh, you know, just by osmosis, uh, had that blessing to, uh, to learn from him. And then I went and worked for four really good head coaches. Uh, I was very fortunate. Uh, Jim Dennison at the University of Akron uh, was a tremendous first mentor. I still talk to him to this day. And then Tom Reed at Miami of Ohio, um, he brought a whole different view of things. And he and Coach Dennison uh, had similarities, but they had differences. So it was a great opportunity to, uh, to work for Coach Reed. And, and then Dick McPherson uh, at Syracuse University, we went there uh, as a brand new staff. And that may have been my most valuable experience in terms of how do you build a program from scratch. Uh, we got there and, you know, we got, had to get to know a whole group of people. We had to put a staff together that we didn't really know one another. Uh, and we started from the ground floor and, and really to this day, uh, I've not seen an experience um, of, of someone building a program. Syracuse at the time was really struggling and Coach McPherson within four or five years had them uh, really on the national scene and, and really uh, I'm not sure they've been quite as good since he left. Um, and so that was an amazing experience. And, and, then, and then Coach Earl Bruce at Ohio State, uh, totally different than the other three. Uh, all four of them had their distinct uh, qualities and beliefs. And, and, um, and so having a chance to work for Coach Bruce. And then I think um, as much as anything, all of the assistant coaches I got to work with, uh, just so many guys that have gone on and done great things. and, and uh, um, and then what, really when I became a head coach, I learned every day from my staff. And I was fortunate to have guys like Mark D'Antonio and Mel Tucker, um, you know, P.J. Fleck, who's up your direction, and, and uh, Luke Fickle, who's doing a great job at Cincinnati. And, and uh, you know, so I had a bunch of really good guys to learn from, even though I was the head coach. And, and uh, so I think if you're always in an environment that challenges you, that you can learn from people, um, you know, you have a chance to continue to improve. In your first season at, as a head coach at Youngstown, your season didn't go as well as you would have liked um, as your team struggled to a 2-9 and nine record. However, in year two, your team improved to 8-4. and four. Take us through your mindset during that first season as your team was struggling. And then second, what changed from year one to year two that you could credit for your team's turnaround? You know, answering the second one first, um, I think the progression year one through two uh, was an incremental one. Uh, there wasn't any flip of the switch or anything like that. Uh, I was a first time head coach. Uh, and you know, when you're an assistant coach, a lot of times you're sitting in those meetings say, you know, if I was the head coach, we'd never lose a game and, and I'd always make the right decisions. And, and then all of a sudden you're the head coach and it's a whole different world. And uh, so I had to learn a lot that first year. I was fortunate. I had guys on my staff. Uh, Mark D'Antonio was on that first staff. Uh, Jim Bowman, longtime line coach who was with us and with Coach D'Antonio at Michigan State. And Donnie Treadwell, who later became a head coach at Miami of Ohio and, and, uh, and then ended up back on Coach D'Antonio's staff. I had really good guys. We were all very young. Um, 
And, you know, we all had a lot to learn. Uh, we had a good work ethic. I think we had a good plan that was kind of a, a, a mesh of what we'd all learned for the people, from the people that we'd worked for. Um, and, and what, you know, what I think you have to be a little bit lucky too. Um, and as we were progressing uh, through that first year, uh, after 10 games, we were one and nine. And uh, I really felt we were getting better. I really felt that we as a staff were learning. Um, but, you know, things we lost, gosh, probably seven of those nine losses were by anywhere from three to eight points. So, so we were losing uh, tough ones. In fact, my athletic director, who was a former head coach in Division Three. Uh, he told me before the year, he said, I'm not sure how good you think you're going to be, but, you know, it, it's going to be a tough year. And uh, make sure if, when you lose, lose close. And he, I said, when we lose? What do you mean? And uh, he said, well, you're going to lose. He said, just make sure you lose close. And uh, we followed his advice. We lost a lot and we lost close. But uh, in that 11th game, uh, you could tell we were really getting better. And uh, we were playing our arch rival, which was the University of Akron, just 40 minutes away. They were eight and two, and they were heading to the playoffs. And uh, their head coach was Jerry Faust. Uh, the, he had been at Notre Dame and so forth, and they had really good players. But uh, our kids hung in there, and we ended up, we ended up killing them, 40 to 39. Uh, we scored with like five seconds to go, and, and – uh, uh, won the game, and and I think there was a little belief factor that started to take hold uh, at that time, and it really uh, rolled into the off season. Um, and then you know we worked hard on our recruiting, and and uh, we worked hard on evaluating ourselves to see what we could have done better as coaches that first year. Uh, we really began to know the players better. I think it takes a full year to get to know your team. I mean, I really do. I mean, to really know them and to, uh, to have them thoroughly convinced that you care about them and, and uh, you know, that you're, you open their, you're open to their thoughts and their feelings and, and so forth. So as we went into that uh, second year, we had an upgraded talent. I think we had a little bit more belief. <laughs> and uh, we were fortunate, made the playoffs and lost at the buzzer. Uh, we... We dropped the ball in the end zone uh, right at the end of the game uh, against Northern Iowa out there in the Unidome and, uh, uh, you know, didn't, didn't progress in the playoffs, but learned great lessons. Um, but interestingly enough, the next year, which I think we had as much talent as any time, I think we had thought we arrived. We were young coaches, so I think we thought we arrived. And... Um, I think our team thought we had arrived and then we lost some tough ball games at the beginning and ended up four and seven. And, uh, you know, it was a tough year, but uh, just like with this COVID-19 uh, deal, I've been telling the university that, you know, when you have your, your biggest butt kickings and, and your most disappointing times, it's usually when you learn the most. And that four and seven was just a real stinging uh, moment for us. And really, from that point on, uh, from 89 all the way through 2000, we were perennial playoff, you know, 
four times in the national championship, uh, or we won, I guess we won four and six times maybe in the national championship game. And, and uh, so, uh, but, but I think a lot of it was because of the lessons we learned in the four and seven season. And, and uh, so I don't think there is one thing ever that's the answer to improvement or regression. I think you improve in inches and I think you regress in inches. And you really have to pay close attention, uh, you know, to your trajectory. Coach, what were some of the the non-negotiables that you have had in the programs that you've been at, whether it's head coach or or now in a president's role? Um, and additionally, how were you able to motivate not only the players that you've coached and been around and assistant coaches, but how do you how do you motivate your staff and your teachers and your heads of departments and so on and so forth? Is there a a common goal that you have when you are dealing with so many dynamic personalities? You know, I think the easy one is that it's students first, players first. I mean, that's easy. That makes sense. Uh, it, it isn't necessarily uh, easy to always do that. Sometimes, you know, you don't, you, you slip away from that non-negotiable. Uh, and so we always, uh, wanted to make sure that you know that we knew we wanted to win games and you know at a university level we know we want to graduate players and and uh, generate revenue so we can have a, a big workforce and so forth but uh, really if we keep in mind uh, it's the students it's the players uh, that are first and make sure that every decision reflects that foundation i think you have a chance to progress um, we had two sayings on our staff wall uh, throughout those years at Youngstown and, and Ohio State, and they were real simple. One was by Albert Einstein, and Einstein said, concern for man and his fate must form the chief interest of all technical endeavors. Never forget this in the midst of your diagrams and equations. And that really struck me that Here's this scientist, this brilliant guy talking about diagrams and equations. Well, us coaches, that's all we ever do is diagrams and equations. Um, and he was reminding us that concern for man and his fate, for our students and their future, our players and their future, must form the chief interest of all technical endeavors. And trying to make sure that every decision we made upheld that thought was why we had that sitting right on the top of our staff room. And then the other one was a quote that I attributed to my father. I'm sure he was not the first one that said it. Uh, I'm sure you've heard it, and I'm sure you didn't hear it from my father. But uh, it was, you know, they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And making sure that our students, making sure that our players know that above all else, we care about them, then we'll have a chance to help them gain the knowledge we want them to gain or win the games we want them to win or or you know whatever it happens to be and and so that really was a foundational uh part of what we did and then both at uh, youngstown state and ohio state uh we had at youngstown state we called it the wheel of life and at ohio state we called it the block o of life and there were six component areas that we committed ourselves to helping our students uh, 
thrive in those six areas. Um, you know, of course, academics and of course, football, um, but also their strength, conditioning and health uh, habits that they build, uh, their spiritual, moral and ethical development, um, their caring uh, for others, the community service, you know, type things. And, and uh, so there, there were certain foundations that we always went back to uh, and that we always tried to design everything we did around those. And uh, it, it's, I think, a little easier with 100 guys and 12 coaches than it is with 13,000 students and 2,000 employees um, who probably have a wider array of interests. You know, when you get on a football team, uh, there's a little bit of a singleness of purpose, especially about football. Um, whereas when you're in a big institution like this, but ironically, the same foundation has to be true. We have six colleges and those colleges, of course, believe in their role, but they also need to appreciate the role of the others. Um, they teach students from other colleges, you know, whether it be general education courses or, or uh, minors or, or whatever it happens to be. Uh, they're all a part of the, of the challenges of, of uh, limited resources. And, you know, we have to make sure that, that we have that unselfishness about us. And, and, uh, but still, we have to make sure that our students know that we're here for them. And uh, not maybe necessarily just our research or our graduation rate or all those measurables, just like in football, our record. And uh, so it, it's, been, it's been really fun trying to create a team out of such a big, diverse situation. I always love trying to make a team out of each one of our uh, years uh, at YSU and Ohio State. But uh, this has been even more challenging. And then you throw in this COVID-19 thing. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's all you can stand in terms of, ch of uh, challenges and, and uh, things that you want to accomplish. But the students have to be the foundation and the scope of we don't want to just graduate students from here. We want to graduate good citizens. We want to graduate students that are growing ethically and morally and spiritually. And, and uh, you know, so uh, there have got to be certain things that you work to make sure your whole staff and your whole enterprise knows that that's what you're about. In 2001, you left to take over at Ohio State after 15 years at Youngstown. What was the process like getting hired at a program like Ohio State? And how difficult was that transition for you personally? Well, you know, many people, when we uh, went to Ohio State, deemed that as, uh, you know, that's your dream job or something like that. You know, I'd been in Ohio my whole life, for, except for two years at Syracuse. And, and uh, really, honestly, it wasn't. Uh, my, my dream job was the job I was in. Um, in fact, we'd like to live by a little uh, slogan, if you will, that paradise is where I am. And I never laid awake at night wondering if I could ever go to a, an Ohio State or a Minnesota or a USC. Just never did it. And uh, when the opportunity arose and I got a call from Ohio State, at first I thought, well, there's no way they're going to hire a 1AA guy 
Um, and, you know, should I even go interview? I don't want my players to think I'm looking around because we had had many, many opportunities prior to that. And we'd made it clear that we were happy where we were. And uh, uh, but then on the other hand, I thought, you know, if you can make impact at a place regionally like Youngstown State, perhaps you could make impact uh, from a statewide and a national uh, vantage point at a place like Ohio State. And so what the heck, I have nothing to lose. So I, I called my team in and I said, hey, you guys, I'm sure you're reading the stuff in the newspaper. And yes, indeed, we're going to go and visit with them. I have no idea if they're interested in hiring us or if we're even interested in going. Uh, but, you know, we're going to go talk with them. And uh, so one thing led to another and we ended up going and and uh, I made it clear to Ohio State that we were going to run our program with the same foundational um, building blocks and the same beliefs that we did uh, at Youngstown State. And that even though our players were going to be bigger and faster and we're going to have bigger budgets and all that stuff, we really weren't going to change a whole bunch of what we do. And I wanted to make sure they would be okay with that. And they were. And uh, so we were able to go there. and. And really, the process wasn't much different than the first year we were here. Uh, it was a matter of getting to know people, uh, getting them to genuinely understand that we did care about them and that we were there to do more than win games. Uh, and that you know we were going to have certain things we believe in and that we were going to do. And uh, that first year was a little bit like our first year at Youngstown. It wasn't quite you know what everyone hoped. And after uh, I guess it would have been after 10 games, uh, we were six and four, which, you know, is probably not what you want to be at Ohio State. Some places might be okay with that, but Ohio And, uh, but we had a last game to play. And we were playing up at uh, the big house against Michigan and they were ranked in the top 10 and we were not. And uh, uh, we unfortunately had to suspend our quarterback uh, for uh, breaking team rules uh, the week before. So I asked our seniors going into the Michigan game, I said, hey, uh, I know what I would like to do in terms of whether or not we play the quarterback, uh, but I'll defer to you because this is your last Michigan game. And I don't think, no, I know they hadn't beat Michigan in their career at that time. And I said, I don't want to take away what you might think is the best opportunity to win your rivalry game. So I'm going to leave this decision up to you. And interestingly enough, the seniors to a man said, no, he doesn't deserve to play. And all of a sudden we were going up there, big underdogs and then bigger underdogs without our quarterback. But uh, Craig Krenzel was our backup and he stepped up and played well. And he had a breakthrough. Uh, I think as a player, our team had a breakthrough in terms of believing. Uh, I think we also had a breakthrough in terms of our team believing in our quarterback who had one more, or I guess two more years of eligibility. And so uh, we were fortunate, maybe a little lucky, who knows, uh, to have that win at the end of the year that then really propelled us into the next off season. And, uh, and then really after that, we were, much, much better team. Coach, at that point, when your seniors made that decision, 
did you kind of get a sense or a feeling that, you know what, we might have something special here? I mean, these kids have bought into what we're trying to accomplish and, and build here from just from a culture and a, you know, a, a team's aspect of it. I think there's no question. And honestly, going into that meeting, I had no idea what they were going to say. I knew what I wanted them to say, but I wasn't going to be, you know, the one that uh, made that decision. And uh, so, yes, I, I think the message they gave me, the message they gave the rest of the team, the message that they gave for the rest of the teams down the road <clears throat> is this is the way uh, we do things. This is our expectations. And, and interestingly enough, you know, when you get old like I am, you reflect back on places you've been and guys you've had and so forth. And our team that was 2-9 and at Youngstown State has as much pride in those national championship banners as uh, any other player, even the ones that played in those games. And our seniors from 01, uh, even though their career at Ohio State was not what they'd hoped it would be, they have as much pride in those championship banners, whether they be the 2002 national championship or the seven Big Ten titles. They have as much pride in those because they really believed they set the stage and I think they're right. And I'm glad they feel that way. When you just touched on it too, coach in your second season then at Ohio state, uh, your team was able to win the national championship over, you know, a heavily favored Miami hurricanes team in probably one of the most memorable national championship games of the BCS era. Share with us how you prepare your team you know, leading up to a national championship and how you developed the game plan and mindset that you ultimately took with you that led to victory over the Hurricanes? Well, we were getting better and better uh, every week that year. Uh, and even though going into the game, we were 13-0, and we probably were not a 13-0 and type team uh, all along. We had had some games that uh, I think it was our – Third or fourth game was we played the University of Cincinnati uh, down in uh, Paul Brown Stadium in Cincinnati and really should have lost. Uh, then about three or four weeks later, we were playing up in West Lafayette against Purdue, and uh, we were behind on fourth down and you know happened to hit a play for a touchdown and probably didn't deserve that game. Uh, and then a couple weeks later, we were – uh, up at the University of Illinois and ended up going to overtime and won a squeaker in overtime. Um, but I think we were getting better as we went. We were learning about ourselves. And so when we were preparing for that bowl game, it was going to be out at the Fiesta Bowl. And, and uh, we had about 43 days to prepare, which was a long time uh, before your next game. And uh, I thought our guys and our staff did a great job of having the right mindset. I thought our staff did a good job of not overdoing it. You know, you can sometimes get so excited and you can leave your best play on the practice field when you have that long. Uh, our staff gave our players off about five or six days right before Christmas, right through Christmas. Uh, uh, and we went out to uh, Arizona. Arizona on like the 26th with only, you know, four or five practices uh, left in the scheme. And, and uh, I just thought they did a good job of, of 
developing how we could best use those days. Now, people ask all the time, you know, how do you think, you know, that game uh, evolved? And, you know, I thought the thing that our staff did well with our team is they obviously made it very obvious to the guys how good Miami was. And that wasn't hard to, all you had to do is look at they'd won, I don't know, 30 some games in a row, defending national champs, probably 10, 12 first round draft choices on their offense and defense. And, and so all you had to do is turn on the film, you know, they're good. And they really hadn't been tested the whole year. I mean, they, they just, they were dominant. Um, and I thought our people realized just how good they were. Uh, but again, you have to be a little lucky. I'm not sure everyone knew just how good we were because we'd had some scary games and, um, uh, but we had 40 days to get even better. And so I think we really got a lot better going into that game. I could tell on the two nights before the game, we practiced under the lights and we were flying around faster than I think I've ever seen us. You could tell we were fresh. You could tell we knew the game plan. Um, you could tell we thought we belonged. And uh, really from the outset of the game, uh, you know, we, we were toe to toe and, uh, you know, it went into overtime. It should have never gone into overtime. If there was replay, it wouldn't have because uh, they called it one of our guys out of bounds and, and the game, we could have just ended it by taking a knee, but didn't happen. We punted and to their credit, Champions always find a way, and they found a way to kick a field goal to go into overtime. And and uh, but our kids kept believing, and and uh, uh, you know it, it was uh, it was one for the ages for us because Ohio State hadn't won a national championship in 34 years, and and so that was a big deal, uh, you know. And and uh, sometimes you end up spoiling them, and you get back to championship games or. You know, we won one in 14, Coach Meyer and, the, and that crew won it in 14. And so they're a little spoiled right now with how good they are. But when you haven't done it for 34 years, uh, it was a pretty special thing for the people of Ohio. You know, kind of transitioning there a little bit, Coach. I know obviously one of Ohio State's chief rivals is the University of Michigan, and that really needs no introduction. And as a coach who has been on the front lines of this rivalry, Tell us how real is this rivalry and hatred, if you want to use that word, between the two schools, and how has it evolved since you first came to Ohio State? I don't think there's any hatred. Uh, I think if you have a legitimate rivalry uh, that's, that's pretty well balanced, and I know when we got to Ohio State, we were about 25 or 27 games under 500 against them since the beginning of the rivalry. In the early years of the rivalry, uh, Michigan really dominated it. Um, and then, you know, then it got to the point where for decades, it was back and forth, back and forth. Um, and then we had had a tough decade in the nineties. I think we only won two out of 12 games or something in a, in a, uh, 12 year period. And, and, uh, so one of our quiet goals that we didn't talk about, uh, but as a staff, we said, you know, wouldn't it be neat if, we can get this rivalry back to 500 before we leave. And uh, of course we would have had to then stay 27 years or something. And, and, uh, but uh, we put up a big chart of the history of, of the game and, and uh, you know, it showed that Michigan was well ahead in the rivalry and, 
And, uh, but what's pretty cool is I think, I don't know, 18 of the last 20, I don't know, 19 of the last 21, whatever it happens to be. Uh, I think we're only five or six games under 500. So I guess I can switch my goal to is I hope I live long enough, you know, to see us over 500. But uh, there's no hatred there. There's great respect. It's always the cleanest game. It's always the toughest game. Um, honestly, my first seven years there, uh, they were really good. Now that they, they, they uh, faded off a little bit those last two or three years. Uh, you know, I th think they've gotten a little better. I haven't watched them as much. Um, they, you know, they haven't broken that, uh, you know, that losing streak. Uh, but I think they've gotten a little bit better. But uh, uh, it's just one that everyone loves being a part of. And, you know, we're so close from a proximity standpoint. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just one of those special games. You're either in front of 110,000 or 106,000. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, it's a special blessing to be able to be a part of that game. Coach, many of the listeners of our show and, uh, you know, across the Midwest are aspiring coaches who have dreams of coaching in major college football and, you know, hopefully someday recruiting the caliber of players that you've mentored throughout your career. What advice would you give younger coaches about climbing the coaching ladder? And then in addition to that, what advice would you give current coaches who are aspiring to earn a job at a major institution like in Ohio State? Now, what I've said to coaches for years and years, is it's not where you coach, it's with whom. It is so critical. You spend way too many hours. Uh, your, your passion runs so deep. It just, be, it just takes a hold of your entire being. Uh, and really, it doesn't matter junior high, high school, or junior college, or division one, two, or three, uh, collegiate situation, or the NFL. Uh, if you're with the right people, there's nothing like it. If you're not with the right people, I don't care where you are. It isn't that much fun. So my first uh, caveat, as I talk to coaches all the time, is don't get locked into where. Get locked into what's the kind of staff you'd like to be on. What's the kind of program you want to be a part of? Uh, and if that happens to take you, you know, to the best high school program in the state, fine. If it doesn't, fine too, as long as you're with the right people. If it doesn't take you to the highest level of college football, or if it doesn't take you to the NFL, uh, as long as you're with the right people, uh, you will look back on your career and you will have loved every minute of it. If it does take you to that level and you're with the right people, you know, there's wonderful things about that. But uh, uh, whether it was with the confetti coming down in the national championship game in Division One AA, or or um, you know the BCS game uh, in Tempe, Arizona, uh, the feeling was no different. The field is the same size, and you're always facing the field. And so, yeah, you might know that there's a whole bunch of people there, but if you're paying attention to that, uh, then you're not focused on the right things. So. I worry sometimes that, that because of the marketing and the popularity and, and just the way uh, football has culturally grabbed a hold of our society, that uh, sometimes where becomes more important than 
why are we doing this? You know, why are we playing the game? Uh, I happen to think that the values derived, uh, the enjoyment of it, the lessons learned, all of those things far outweigh the risk of a concussion or a broken leg uh, or an ACL. Um, but you have to decide why you're in the game. And why you're in the game, it really doesn't matter where you are. And if it takes you to some of those places that everyone knows about, great. But if it doesn't take you to some of those places, then you can have the, you can have the most fulfilling um, lifetime of coaching you could ever imagine. And you know, just ask anyone that's got a great program in a community, um, you know, they live for that. And, or a great program in a state like Ohio, the Buckeye fans live for that. But it's no different because of the size. Kind of finishing up, Coach. Um, your post-coaching life has led you to a career in collegiate administration, as we've talked about here already. What has the transition been like for you, and how has your coaching career helped you in your role as an administrator? You know, it's been really a lot of fun. Uh, I've probably enjoyed it because, you know, I'm at the stage in my career that I don't have to do this, uh, and. Uh, I do it because I want to be helpful. Uh, it's the university here is so important to the region. Uh, it's so important to the young people that go here. Uh, it's a very affordable university. We're an access school. I'd say close to half of our students are first generation. Um, and, and they're looking for someone, uh, whether it's a faculty member or a administrator or a coach or somebody to help them. Uh, with some of the dreams they have. Um, and so uh, it's been a lot of fun. The, uh, my administrative staff doesn't love it when I use my coaching stories and you know, all that kind of stuff. And uh, but, so we have a lot of fun with that. And, and, uh, but really the, the nuts and bolts of having a good organization, I think aren't tremendously different, whether it's a sports team or a university or a business or a church or a organization of any kind, you know, there are certain fundamental things that need to be in place. The larger the situation, the harder. And so we have so many people here that we're trying to make into a team. Uh, that's a little bit harder than, you know, maybe if you had a basketball team with 12 people. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, uh, all of those things you learn in coaching, uh, all of the attention to detail, all of the working together, all of the uh, willingness to listen to the people you're serving, uh, all of the, uh, the passion that you need to learn. Uh, when I first went into higher ed administration, I had been in coaching for 38 years, and I'd been on college campuses for 38 years, but now I was taking a whole different role and I really went to school on that part of uh, the, the whole enterprise because it was different than the athletic part of it. There were similar things, but there were also uh, items that I needed to learn a lot about. And so I studied and studied and studied and talked and listened and, and asked questions and so forth so I could learn about the world I was entering. and. Uh, 
Um, but then I could let my experiences take over and, and, uh, but it goes back to that same thing about the coaching. It's not where you're an administrator, it's with whom. It, the team you have around you, the people that you're serving, um, you know, that's what it's all about. And, and uh, you know, I'm sure there are people out there in higher education that don't think that coaching is the training ground for presidencies. You know, I, I don't know that there'd be a whole bunch of people that would say that, uh, but I would tell you that uh, I don't know any better uh, training ground. And, uh, uh, you know, it's been a lot of fun trying to make the transition. And, and uh, I'm sure there'll be some people on campus that to this day, you know, don't think it's the right thing to have a coach who doesn't even have a PhD and all that stuff. And um, I think there are some others that thought that wasn't a good idea on the way in, but have now realized that, hey, this, is, this has been pretty good. And then there were the people that, because of the way they are, they just uh, give people the benefit of the doubt and, and want to see how they do. And, and they're with you when you walk in the door. So no different than any other situation. And, and uh, we've had a lot of fun. 